0: Premier Christian Newscast.
1: Almost exactly ten years ago, on the thirteenth of March, twenty thirteen, Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio became Pope Francis. In the subsequent decade, this previously obscure Argentinian cleric has revolutionized the papacy while steering the Catholic Church through sweeping reform inside and out. He scandalized conservatives and thrilled some progressives while overturning what the watching world assumed popes had to be like. I'm Tim Watt, and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. In today's episode, we're going to speak with two biographers of Francis, both supremely well connected inside the Vatican and across the Catholic Church, to find out what's their assessment of the Pope's ten years in office? What has he achieved? Where have his ambitions fallen short? Why do some Catholics love him and still more loathe him like few popes before? And what legacy will he leave behind when he does eventually quit the throne of St Peter? Well hello and, and thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, could I start by asking you both to kind of briefly introduce yourselves. Uh, Chris, you've been on the show before, who are you? So, well thanks Tim, I'm Christopher Lamb,
0: I'm a Vatican correspondent for The Tablet, Catholic publication and author of The Outsider, Pope Francis and His Battle to Reform the Church.
2: And Paul, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Paul Valerie. I Uh, Wrote, uh, I think, the first uh, biography of um, Pope Francis in English, and then a more subsequent, substantial version of it later on. Um, And I've been writing about religion for decades, more longer than I care to remember.
1: (laughs) Well, you're both excellent uh, experts, I I should say, on the topic. I'm really grateful to have you on the show. Um, Could we start by just reminding people of the kind of extraordinary circumstances of how? Pope Francis first kind of um, became Pope and and what a surprise candidate he was. Um, Chris, why don't you take that away?
0: Yeah, so Francis was elected after Benedict XVI took the extraordinary decision to resign the papacy, uh, the first Pope to do so in in, uh, 600 years. So he was elected in the wake of that bombshell decision, uh, which is still, I think, being processed um, by, by many in the church and in the Vatican and he Francis was elected in in the 2013 conclave March 2013 uh, as really a, an outsider figure um, the first pope from Latin America the first Jesuit pope the first pope to call himself uh, Saint Francis of Assisi Uh, and also a a Pope who was an outsider to the clerical establishment in Rome, given that Francis had not lived or worked in Rome before his election, which is the first time that's happened in about a century. Um, We should add that he he was someone known to the Cardinals because he had been the runner-up candidate in 2005 when Pope Benedict was elected. So he was known as a... uh, a a, a respected uh, leader amongst the cardinals but very much uh, a surprise choice in 2013 I think and certainly Mm. an outsider to to Rome in the Vatican.
2: I think it's fair to say he wasn't really known to uh, to most of us I mean subsequently we found out that he'd been the runner-up uh, the previous time, but we we hadn't really known that. And uh, the main question uh, when he came out on the balcony, and or rather his name was announced before he came out in the balcony. The main question people asked, "Who's who's he?" Uh, so he was a pretty unknown un- unknown quantity at the start. There, mm. yeah, I remember. People and how did in he in set himself apart?
1: In-
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chris. I was going to say, I remember pe- people in the square were saying to me, "Who is he?" When when um, when he came out.
1: And, and how did he set himself apart in those kind of early years as a very different kind of Pope to the ones that perhaps we've got used to in, in recent decades?
2: Well, when he was elected, um, he didn't get go off in the papal limousine immediately after he been elected. He got back on the bus with the, with the rest of the cardinals. And that was a bit of an eyebrow raiser. Uh, he went back to the, to, to the hostel that he'd been staying in before he was elected Pope to pay the bill. Uh, he carried his own bags. Uh, he said, "Oh, I'm not going to live in the papal palace. Uh, um, I'll just live in the in the, the the visitors' hostel and a couple of rooms there." Um, he, he was a, it had a different style about him at all uh, entirely. And when I went out to Argentina to find out about him, I found that he'd been like that uh, when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires. He used to take the tube and uh, um, uh, buses around the place. Uh, he was very kind of unassuming, cooked his own meals, and uh, an entirely different, different style of, uh, of uh, priest and, and bishop that he'd been. And uh, w- the, the, the Pope before him, Benedict, was, was a, a, a theologian, and the Pope before him was John Paul, uh, uh, who was uh, a philosopher. And this was an entirely different kind of uh, Pope. He was a pastor. Um, and uh, lots of the, the ways of doing things which his predecessors had, had carried on as normative uh he he's turned upside down.
1: was that a conscious deliberate choice do you think by the cardinals to go in a different direction or did did that kind of side of his pontificate kind of surprise as many of the insiders in the Vatican as it surprised us watching on from outside
0: so there there was a group who um you know who were persuaded and 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 thought that Francis was the right guy for the job um because he was known as a as a strong administrator. And as Paul was saying, he had a simple lifestyle. He was not um, bound up in sort of power politics of the Roman Curia. Um, and, he, you know, he wasn't representing a particular vested interest. So they saw him as someone who would reform the Vatican. That's what some cardinals thought. Um, and I think there was perhaps there were those who knew him from Argentina and wanted his approach, um, but there were also those who saw him as a, as a reformer of the Curia. And I think there was perhaps a bit of surprise among some cardinals when uh, Cardinal Bogoglio, as he was known, became Pope Francis. Um, they perhaps they were electing the Argentinian Jesuit, austere, um, a, a man who was known for good governance. They weren't necessarily expecting Francis I think that's been No, when he was in
2: when he was in uh, Argentina He was known as horse face because he had a long face and he was always miserable And then he became this smiling Pope uh, quite a transformation and I think there, there, there are a few reasons for that um, w- w- You need to know a bit about the background before he, he came in the Vatican was in a, a terrible mess the Vatican finances were a mess um, there was a lot of uh, infighting amongst uh, the different cardinals in the different uh, curial departments uh and benedict had kind of got exhausted and 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 decided he he couldn't cope with all this which is why he resigned he took this extraordinary step of of resigning but when they came to elect someone they thought well there's all this mess with with the vatican finances uh, the vatican infighting even the 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 uh, pope benedict's uh butler had uh you know been leaking stuff to the press um so they wanted someone who take a firm hold on that and as chris said he was known as a strong administrator in Buenos Aires, and he cleaned up a financial um, crisis there where there was a lot of uh, corrupt um, in-play um, with church people, and he sorted that out pretty pretty sharpish. But they have these kind of um, meetings before they actually do the vote uh, for a pope, and in them he's, he, he made this speech about um, a very oblique speech, but calling for spiritual reu- uh, renewal, And he talked about how um, Christ was the light of the church and and the church was just the moon and the moon reflects the light of the sun. And if the moon makes the mistake of thinking it's got its own light, uh, it becomes, as his phrase was, and he's used this a few times since, self-referential. Then in that case, the the church needs to uh, uh, turn its face back to Christ and... uh, that that spiritual thing combined with the, the financial reformer, I think, uh, led a lot of people to say that he's the man. Uh, and I think some of them regretted it afterwards.
1: How, how has he been? How, how has he done in terms of reforming some of the, the cesspits in the Vatican that he found? Has he been that kind of new broom that people hoped? Has he managed to, to put things back in order?
2: I think he has in in lots of areas. The Vatican finances has been sorted out uh, in, in a major way. There've been a series of reforms there, and there's there's a lot to reform because every time there's a reform, you find something else that needs needs changing. He brought in uh, these outsider cardinals. One of the things he w- when he was in Buenos Aires was he he got fed up of of being summoned uh, to to Rome and treated as as a choir boy by by ju- fairly junior people in the in the Vatican bureaucracy and. Um, the, the, he selected nine cardinals to help him, uh, which became known as the Council of Nine. Uh, and they were all outsiders like him. One of them was George Pell, the cardinal from Australia, who's was a very pugnacious character. And um, he, he sorted out the Vatican finances in a big way. He had to step down later on when he got accused of, of sex abuse on some historic sex abuse grounds, which turned out to be rather dubious. He was jailed and then freed. Uh, but but he did a lot on the Vatican finances. But there's still an awful lot to do there. So there's one area where where he's made a big difference. Chris, what do you what do you think is the, the next well, big I, thing?
0: Well, I, I think certainly the finances he's he's reformed things. Uh, and as as you know, as evidence of the reform, there's a trial going on of uh, of, of a number of individuals for um, alleged corruption, including a cardinal. Uh, which in itself is a, a sign of 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 the change that, that that's happened, but it, it is a long, uh, ongoing process, and it's, and it's uh, difficult to get uh, it complete. It's it's you know it's it's taken time. Uh, I think the culture has changed in the Vatican. Um, I think the approach that the Church uh, has that the the Pope wants the Church to take. To just go back to that speech that Paul mentioned. In that speech, the Pope. Uh, I think Premier read that listeners will be will be interested in this. The Pope quotes from the Book of Revelation, where he says that Jesus stands and knocks uh, at the door to come in. And he said that too often in the church, he says Jesus is inside the church knocking and asking to get out. And so the whole approach of Francis is missionary, to, to put everything onto a missionary key. Uh, and to be outward looking, and to end this, you know, what can happen in the Vatican is sort of self-referential attitude. So I think he has changed the culture. He has pushed things um, into a much more missionary, evangelizing, uh, uh, well, in a, a, a evangelizing missionary key in, in everything that he's d- done. Uh, and I think it, it's it's hard to to say that whether or not it's complete and I don't think it ever will be because I think what Francis has done is open processes. He started things that I think are going to continue beyond his pontificate and that's particularly true of the synod, uh, the synodal reform that he's that he's begun, the long process that's continuing. Uh, um, so I mean I, I also think, just mentioned quickly, there have been some historic things when it comes to interreligious religious dialogue, um, his meetings with the Grand Imam of Al-Hazar, his meeting with with the uh, Shia authority al-Sistani in Iraq. Also his ecumenical work, his trip, I was recently on the trip to South Sudan with Archbishop Justin Welby. Um, Some of the other things he's done in terms of his visits, he's been to countries that no pope has been to, particularly in the Muslim world. So there's a lot, I think, there um, in in terms of of firsts for a pope. uh, but i think that the, it's that it's the genu- genuinely trying to bring about a gospel based reform of the global catholic church i think is really at the heart of what he's trying to do
2: yeah and there are a few things you want to pick up on that i mean uh, synod and synodical sounds very church jargony stuff but it it i mean what you, what people need to appreciate is that the popes have always been like monarchs absolute monarchs they you know they speak and, and people act And this this Pope is trying to change the way that the Church makes decisions and bring in not just the bishops in the Synod, uh, which uh, is an innovation that was introduced in the Second Vatican Council by Pope Paul, but bringing in the lay people. Before the first Synod that he had, he had a a, a, um, a questionnaire of lay people on what they thought on a whole range of things. And This is the exact opposite of what um, a lot of previous Popes had done, where it was kind of, you know, shut up and uh, pay up and pray. Uh, this was, you know, what do you think? How, you know, how, how, where, where are we starting in the right place? Which is an extraordinary revolution. So synod, um, well, the Church of England's got a synod, but the Catholic Church really hadn't had one for for, for centuries, and the Eastern Church did have. Um, so, so that's a much bigger thing than perhaps people would realise looking from the outside. But what, what what's clear looking from the outside is the uh, this man called for a poor church. Um, for for the poor. Um, he comes from Latin America. He's seen uh, 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 an economy and a population have been downtrodden by um, exploitation. He sees the United States as the big exploiter and, and uh, the big kind of baddie on, in the global capitalist stage. Um, he's very in favor of, of prioritizing refugees and people who are alienated from the international economy and, and part of his... Um, ecological work uh, as, as has had echoes of that he's not he's not just trying to save the planet for because it's part of God's creation he, he, he wants to change the way we we use the resources of the planet because they're part of the way that the rich uh, exploit the poor so all of this is part of why he's not gone down with some of, uh, of the more conservative elements in the church especially in the United States where they see him as kind of threat to uh, uh, American um, economic interests and, and traditional power structures. So uh, he's, he's done um, th- this this kind of turning the church upside down in, in lots of areas. And and uh, I would say that the, from it's hard to quantify these things, but I think the vast majority of Catholics love him and think that he's a, a real breath of fresh air. You know, instead of being the old style pope with his finger out to wag, he's, he's a man with his arms open to embrace. And um, uh, the, the the you know things like the, the the most famous quote very early on on his plane on the plane on the way back from uh, uh, the youth festival in Brazil he was asked about homosexual priests and he said who am I to judge well the conservatives think well you're the Pope you're supposed to judge and he says no uh, you know uh, Christian charity and mercy and and the unwillingness to forgive is as important as judging um, so he's kind of rebalanced the scales on that in a in in a really big way, which um, a substantial minority of Catholics uh, feel is letting the side down. But I think the majority of Catholics are really, really uh, energized uh, uh, by this Pope. Premier Christian Newscast.
0: Premier
1: Christian Newscast. I was going to come to that because it's a really interesting point. He's often perceived outside the church as a kind of progressive, even perhaps a liberal because of the warm words he's had for, you know, issues on like divorce and remarriage or or homosexuality that we just, we just don't really expect from kind of senior Catholic leaders in the past. Is he actually theologically kind of liberal or is this just a more kind of gentle packaging of, of his holding on to kind of Catholic Orthodox teaching?
0: I don't think he's a liberal. Um, He's, you know, not changed doctrine, and he's been very strong on on abortion, for example. He's not he's not moved anything on 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 that. I think what he's tried to do is, uh, it's not about packaging. I don't think he's tried to put mercy and a pastoral the pastoral heart, let's say of of a of the good shepherd into into his. Uh, into his into his papacy, and um, so I mean, without getting into all the the, the theological niceties, I'd say what Francis has done is kind of rediscover and recapture some of the older Catholic tradition around can doctrine develop? Well, yes, yes, doctrine can develop. Can can the Church examine the question of female deacons, for example? Well, Francis has opened up commissions to look to look at that uh topic and when he says when he talks about the mercy of god it's nothing particularly new he's just i think what he's trying to do is is recover the dynamism and the spirit of the early church of early christianity so i think it goes much deeper than just a cosmetic thing he's not trying to sort of um do a pr exercise on on unpalatable catholic teachings he is really trying to get to the heart of of, of the message of the gospel and to translate that to contemporary, the contemporary world.
2: Now, I completely agree with that, but I think it's also important to say he's quite shrewd politically, uh, and he knows that the Catholic Church is an oil tanker, and it takes a long time to turn it in any direction. So, so, uh, and he, uh, as we were saying before, he wants uh, people to take part in in any changes of, of direction or any development of doctrine. He doesn't want it to be. Uh, you know, a papal uh, uh, autocracy where he lays the, lays the law down. So I think he's got liberal kind of feelings, but doctrinally, as Chris says, he's he's, he's orthodox. But I remember uh, in in one of the slums in in Brazil, where um, one of the priests told me that um, we were talking about uh, communion for the divorced and the remarried, which had become a bit of a sticking point uh, in 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 the the the, the first synod. Um, and this priest said to me well you know when he when when he came here um he he just listens to to people if people come to him to uh take communion he doesn't say are you divorced or remarried if they want communion he gives them communion um and he's there's a sense about him where people are more important than than, than dogma that's the pastoral aspect of him um and one uh, one woman came and, and said oh you know, to, to him and and said, "I'm sorry, uh, my son isn't here, um, but because uh, he he doesn't go to church anymore." And uh, but, uh, and and uh, Bergoglio, as it then was, said, to her, "Well, yeah, but does he does he look after you? Is he a good lad?" And uh, and she said, "Oh yes, he yes, he is it." Yeah, and he says, "Well, that's the most important thing, isn't it?" So that you know, not coming to church or not looking after your mother, he could. It, it was clear where his priorities were. And that kind of sense of, you know, putting his arms around people, inviting people or, or ringing people up or inviting them to the Vatican when they've said, you know, I'm a gay man and my gay partners and we're having this trouble with our local bishop. He doesn't ring the bishop and say, stop giving these people a hard time. He invites them to the Vatican and, and, and is seen embracing them. So he's, he's uh, like the famous, you know, saying of, of uh, Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And he's very good at preaching the gospel without using words.
1: And is that is what was sparked so much opposition from kind of hardliners and conservatives? You mentioned earlier, Paul, that there's a very strong faction in the US in particular who have got no time for him at all, and, and some words argue kind of actively trying to undermine his papacy. Is it, is it in response to that? Or is there other issues going on here?
2: It's partly that. It's partly to do with with challenges to you know the economic hegemony, as they call it, um, and undermining that. But it's partly theological. I'll let Chris talk about the theological aspect of it and the uh, and the very um, vocal, well organised, well financed minority of of people who who uh, you know running all kinds of uh, schemes to uh, to to criticise him and undermine him. Yes,
0: uh, uh, that's right. They are well funded, uh, as Paul says, and they are, it seems, coordinated at times in terms of trying to undermine uh, his pontificate. I think we should distinguish between um, the possibility of criticising a Pope, which is, um, uh, I think, a healthy and necessary thing, and that's something that he welcomes. He welcomes criticism. And what we have seen, which is a, a as I describe in my book, uh, a kind of guerrilla warfare against the authority of um, of Francis and his, and in fact, you know, effectively his right to govern and lead the church. You know, it's it's been an unprecedented kind of rebellion in some places against uh, against Francis, and it's a mix between theology and politics, I would say. Um, it started with theological opposition to Francis's uh, plan to proposal to give communion to divorced and remarried catholics Um, and we saw a number of group of cardinals um, issue a kind of public uh, attack on Francis or or, um, demanded that he uh, answer certain questions that they would put to him Um, and then from the kind of theological Roots of the opposition. It then became politicized, and probably the the most uh, pronounced attack on Francis came from a former uh, papal diplomat, Archbishop Vigano, who um, released uh, a dossier of accusations against Francis and others, and called on the Pope to resign, which is unprecedented, really.
2: and interestingly, although he's got an Italian name, he was based in the United exactly. States. He's
0: based in the United States, so he's very closely linked in with that world. And a number of bishops in the US backed Vigano when he put out this dossier, which is kind of again extraordinary because you know the the, the bishop is supposed to be in communion with the Pope, uh, and yet they they made public statements supporting Vigano when he put out these these accusations, which were investigated and found really to be. Basically, base, baseless. Um, so he has faced this this, this extraordinary opposition. Um, I think the way he sees it is that um, the, the opposition is is normal, given that or natural, given that there is a renewal and reform of the church going on. So you would expect some opposition.
2: Um, yeah, and when Cardinal Pell criticised him, he he kind of shrugged and said, uh, "You know, criticism is a human right. Obviously, he doesn't like it, but he." he <laughs> He knows he's got to put up with it,
0: but I I do think there is, it, particularly in the English speaking Catholic world, and you mentioned Cardinal Pell's criticism. I do think there is a a, a real problem for the Church, um, not just for this Pope, but for the, for for this Pontificate and going forward um, about the uh, resistance at, at certain levels. I think it's not not at the level as put as Paul saying at the not not at the level of. Um, Ordinary Catholics, but at uh, the higher you go up the, the clerical structure, you find more of the opposition. I think there's a problem in the English-speaking world because it does seem a lot of it is concentrated there. Um, I mean, Cardinal Pell was asked to be the financial advisor, the treasurer of the Vatican um, by Francis, uh, and then it turns out that he uh, had when he, after he died, we learned that he had been the author of a memo calling the papacy a catastrophe and attacking the synod process. So it, it you know, some of this opposition has really been quite close up to Francis. It's, it's there in the U S it's been there in Rome and it's often driven, I think, by, um, the English speaking church. And I do think there's
2: a, there's a, there's a big, a big difficulty there. Um, so it's worth adding something else to that. Yes, some of the opposition is to do with um, people not, li- not liking his, his turning things upside down and wanting to stick to the old uh, traditional entitlement and privileges, clericalism, as, as he calls it. Uh, some of it is to do with, with theological precision, and they feel he's sloppy and, and causes co- confusion, is the word that they use about him. But there's also another element that a lot of these uh, opponents have been passed over uh, for red hats, they should have been made cardinals. They think because they are the Archbishop of wherever, which and he's always a cardinal, you know. And this pope has as there are people who expect to be cardinals in the states, in uh, in Italy, uh, in other places in Europe. And this pope has made cardinals in in odd places that you know, Burkina Faso and places that no, nobody's ever heard of. Because he thinks that if you have a Church of the Poor, it should be from people who are from. Uh, the poor world who who and his famous phrase who smell of the sheep shepherds should smell of the sheep and so he's appointed a different kind of cardinal altogether and and some of the opponents are just you know bitter and uh, disappointed men
1: i wanted to come to one final thing before we before we wrap it up which which um we haven't really touched on in, in detail which is the kind of sex abuse scandal which is i guess dogged the the pontificates of both his immediate and and John Paul II as well pre- predecessor before that how would you assess his record Chris looking back over 10 years at at leading the church through that crisis has has he made significant reforms or changes uh, is it is it a priority for him personally yeah
0: I, I think the, the truth is on this at, at the beginning of his pontificate um the his response was 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 not was not good enough um, and there was a big problem uh with um sex abuse crisis in Chile which he was which he was very slow on and made bad mistakes on and he admitted those mistakes but in 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 that
2: at that point it was not good um I think he has though and at that point Chris he'd set up the pontifical commission for the protection of minors and he'd got two former sex abuse victims survivors on on this uh, and after a couple of years they, they both left because they yeah. said this is not going anywhere this is a waste of time
0: that, that's right so there, there, there were I think real problems in the early years but I, I do think there has been a shift and I think he has listened and he has taken advice and he I think gets it Um we've had a number of laws Vatican laws mm-hmm. church-wide laws that have been um promulgated Uh we've had uh, you know, a, a series of tough decisions from Francis when it comes to uh, removing bishops. Um, we've also got legislation on holding bishops accountable. Uh, and I mean, just this week, for example, Francis was met with the group of survivors from UK, the UK and Ireland, um, meeting for with them for the second time. They've had a very difficult. Um, they had very difficult. Uh, situation with the religious order, where the who were responsible for a school where they where they were abused, um, had not recognised the abuse. Francis met them, intervened, listened to them. Similarly, with the with the Chile thing, he listened to the victims. Uh, one of the victims, um, and I think has now offered, now offers a, a, a very different uh, has offered a very different um, response to those early years and is really taking a victim's first approach as alongside the tough action that, that, that's necessary. So I do think that his, his reforms of the church, particularly around tackling clericalism, which is in itself a, a, an abuse of power and is often what he sees as the root cause of the abuse crisis, clericalism, the idea of, the, of, 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 the, of individuals, not just priests, but, but often priests with a lot of power who then abuse that power, that reform that he's trying to bring about trying to tackle that clericalism is very very important for the for dealing with this crisis in the long term so i, I think that um when it's now in a you know the church has has now had a, is in a much better place although there are still many many ongoing difficulties
2: having said all that i still think that uh, the uh, sex abuse crisis is the, the thing that most is burdensome to the Catholic Church and, and Francis hasn't done enough and most Catholics think that uh, it's, it's still, it's not really been a top priority of his. Yes, he's met survivors because that's part of his pastoral approach to life, but in terms of getting a grip of the of the way that bishops have covered sex abuse up and just moved priests around and all that kind of thing, I think there's still a feeling in the, in the Church amongst ordinary Catholics that, uh, that he's, not, he's not done enough. Um, and the other area where there's a feeling he's not done enough is on the, the role of women in the church. He's made some, some steps forward there, but uh, there are still a lot of women who feel disenchanted and feel he could have done more. And the final thing I would say where he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been sure-footed is on his foreign policy, in his attitude to Russia at the moment over you, the war in Ukraine, where he, he's hoping to not, not condemn too much because he might be a peace broker in the future. And in, in his, his attitude to um, to China, where he's just really gone in for a policy of appeasement uh, with the Chinese Communist Party, there are weaknesses to to Francis's papacy. Um, on balance, though, uh, I, I I think he's he's, he's been a, a great breath of fresh air, and uh, he's shown uh, he's shown the Church uh, a different way of being a pope, a different and there's a different way of being a Catholic, and and even after he's gone. That memory will be there. We know what Metz, the theologian Metz calls the dangerous memory. Francis will always be a dangerous memory in the church, even if it swings back slightly more conservative with the next Pope.
1: Chris, how long do you think we have left of his pontificate? I mean, he's 86 now. He's he's had a lot of health issues. Is he likely to, to stick it out to, to his death as as it has been the tradition? Or do you think he will follow the example of, of Benedict and retire at some point?
0: Well, I think if he becomes too unwell to to carry out the role he will resign but as as long as he's physically able to, to to do the job he will continue and he has said that and most recently that he thinks it's a job for life being pope so i expect him to 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 stay around at least for another 2 years perhaps a bit longer It's hard to know, but it seems, though, that he wants to um, go on until the end. Uh, And I think he realises the longer he goes on, the more that that needs to be done. Um, And I think the Francis pontificate will always be something that is a work in progress. Um, And and I think what's interesting is, you know, we talk about the the opposition uh, to Francis within the church. What's also remarkable, I think, is that Francis has has almost been able to develop um, a cross-denominational alliance with other Christians. Um, I think he has a, a lot of support from, from those out- Christians outside the Catholic Church. Um, and so I think that's quite, I think that will be something that is going to really be quite significant uh, in the future because he's, he's really trying to build an alliance that goes outside of, the simply the confines of the catholic church he's really building something much more broad um and is i think that will be one of the, the big legacies that, that, that francis leaves um is that outward looking approach for the catholic church and i think we can expect him to be around certainly for the short term um and i, I don't see a resignation on the horizon anytime soon
1: Paul, do you agree? Do, do you think he, he he's he, he's done enough, or he's been around long enough that that whoever comes after him will have to to be a pope in some sense in the style of Francis? He's, he'll, he'll leave a legacy
2: behind in the Vatican and, and globally. Well, he will leave a legacy behind in the sense that I said he you know he he's shown this way of being pope. Where, I mean, the, in in Rome they always used to say after a fat pope, a thin pope, um, uh, and the idea that they would kind of uh, uh the, the pendulum would swing the other way is a possibility but he's created so many cardinals uh, of a different kind of person from a different kind of place that they may they may elect somebody who who's entirely different um so i think i think a lot of that legacy uh um it, it will is, is 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 not removable um whatever what, what whoever follows him yeah, i
0: agree yeah
1: I mean, there's loads we haven't touched on. We haven't touched on, of course. Some people would say his biggest contribution, globally would be Laudato Si and the kind of prioritization of the issue of climate change and and care for the environment, um, uh, the synodal reforms. Lots and lots to talk about, but I, we've run out of time, unfortunately. We'll have to get you guys back on the show another time, maybe. But thanks so much, Chris, and thanks so much, Paul, for, for joining us and for leading us through this uh, appraisal of, of Pope Francis 10 years in. i very grateful for your time. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, We'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Premier Christian Newscast.